0: Hey, if anybody wants to join us Tuesday, uh, I think we'll be going to Six Flags with them and their family Tuesday. So, So Oscar will be our contact person, whether, Oscar, raise your hand, please, whether permitting and their schedule permitting we may be able to have one big blowout with them at Six Flags. Our family has passes. If you guys have that or want to come, talk to Oscar and we 'll let him know for sure we're going in the time that we're going, because uh, it's going to be fun being with them one last time. that'll be kind of our blowout. All right let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 verse 24, going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. If you are new. You can go back over all of our messages. They're online, or you can join us online right now or at our app. Today we're going to be learning about the kingdom. Somebody say the kingdom. kingdom. Thank you. The kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus says it seven times in this passage. We're going to read what the kingdom of heaven is like. Do you think the kingdom of heaven is important? I hope that you do. The kingdom of heaven actually represents the kingdom of God. And when Jesus taught us to pray, which we've already gone over, the Lord's prayer, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. heaven. So this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about God's will being done on earth. Now it's coming by choice. You don't have to be in the kingdom if you don't want to. It's up to you by choice if you want to be in the kingdom. But like a locomotive, the kingdom is coming whether you like it or not. Choo, choo. And God is going to settle his throne in Jerusalem, rule and reign for a thousand years and judge all of the nations and when he comes, the battle of Armageddon happens. And so it's going to be bad for those who do not want the kingdom. For those who are expecting and are excited about the kingdom, it's going to be great joy. It's going to be great happiness. So what other people will be saying, like, oh, no, oh, my, will be shouting out, oh, yes, oh, Yes. You know, like when you're a Cubs fan and the Cubs are doing good, and maybe there's like a Cincinnati Reds fan that came to the Wrigley Field. When the Cubs are doing good, they're like, in your face. You know? Like, you know, sports people can get all pumped up. And it's, and it's something because we think about sports as if they're our team. They're not your team. I can give you the first, in, you know, indication that they're not your team. How many games have they let you go watch for free? They're not your team. What they are is they're your pimp. Half kid. But you got to pay to play with them, to watch them play, not even to play. Are you listening? But you see, I'm in the kingdom. And so when the losers are getting all upset, I'm going to be like, in your face. This is what Jesus promised. Now you might say, oh, that's mean, you're not supposed to be like that. No, my Jesus will be trampling on 100 million people and making blood as high as the uh, horse's head for over 140 miles. He says he will stomp on people like people stomp on grapes. If you've heard the phrase, the grapes of wrath, that's actually going to be people's bodies splattering. So I know you think that Jesus is only coming to have coffee with you, to love on you and give you a thumbs up, but that's not what happens when the kingdom of God comes once and for all upon the earth. If you want loving Jesus, if you want gentle Jesus, if you want coffee talk Jesus, you better make Jesus your king because as a king, he will have coffee with you. As a king, he will be your best friend. I like to give this example. Imagine if your father, if your parent was a general in the United States Army. And let's say they were over the drones and they were over the tanks and they were doing battle, say, in Syria. And that's your parent. Man, you're you're cheering for your parent. You're happy for your parent. You're excited for your parent. But the enemy, they don't like your dad. They don't like your mom. Are you guys tracking with me? Because when your mom pushes the button, things blow up. But when your mom comes home or your dad, let's say, you know, your dad or mom's the general, when they come home, what are they doing? They're drinking coffee with you. They're, they're eating cereal with you. They're hanging out with you. But what are they to the enemy? What are they to the, the people? They are a terror to the enemy. When mom comes to work, when dad comes to work, drones start dropping hellfire missiles, right? But at home, mom's pinching you on the cheek. Hey, I love you, you know. Dad's doing whatever. So my dad, listen, listen, everybody. My heavenly father, he's a king. And he made his son his king over the palace, and I'm serving that kingdom. And so I'm happy about that day when the kingdom of heaven comes. It is so important to understand about the kingdom of heaven that that was the number one subject Jesus talked about, not only in this chapter in Matthew 13, it was the number one subject he talked about in the entire New Testament. In Jesus' words, the number one repeating theme over and over and over again is the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, when the disciples had time to ask him questions, both at the end of the gospel and beginning of Acts, the only questions that they asked him about were about the kingdom. They didn't ask him when we go to heaven, do we get to hang out with Angel Gabriel and fly around? Uh, Do we get to go fishing? Uh, What's it going to be? No, no, no. It was when your kingdom comes. So I sit on your left and my brother on your right. When your kingdom comes, where is it going to be? Is it going to look like this? When your kingdom comes, what is it like? Is it now? All they talked about was his kingdom. Let me ask you something. Are you more concerned with your kingdom than you are God's kingdom? Because you've got to get a kingdom mindset to understand Jesus. Jesus was all about the kingdom. That's why he taught us to pray, His kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So many people want to die to go to heaven to get out of this earth. Heaven wants to come to this earth. Are you understanding me? They wish they could have four more lifetimes to be there, to be right here where you're at. You're thinking, oh, man, just one lifetime's enough. No, they're standing over the window seals of heaven going, come on, just let me back in the game one more time, coach. Woo, come on, somebody. That's what it's like to live for Jesus. The Bible literally says they are standing around us as a heavenly witness. Hebrews chapter 12 says we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And the Bible says they are urging us to run our race. They wish they could come back and run again, a thousand more lifetimes. So are you just trying to get your get out of free hell card? Or do you want to stay here and see God's kingdom come? You see, we used to think uh, back in the, uh, the day that if you, you know, you died young, you know, that was a bad thing. And and sometimes, you know, only the good die young. They would write these songs about it. But now people are taking their lives so they can die young. They fear death. They fear old age. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they begged God, let me live to a thousand, God. Well, if you have faith like them, you might want to do it. But some of you, you're probably like, oh, man, 80 years is enough. You know, the Bible says they used to live hundreds of years. They were mighty men and women of God because they were about the kingdom. And that was even in the Old Testament. And it says those Old Testament saints long to see what you and I see now. Are you guys ready to learn what the kingdom of heaven is like? Yes. Amen. Let's go to chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. Somebody say weeds among the wheat. There you go. You got it. And went away. When the wheat sprouted up and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Verse 27. Verse 27. The owner's servants came and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, Because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat as well. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First, collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the weed and bring them into my barn. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. Now, go to verse 31. What you're going to notice right here is that Jesus doesn't explain anything about what that just meant. If you were here last week, you understand why they're laughing. Jesus is not here to try to convince you to follow him. Jesus is saying, I'm good enough to follow whether or not you want to or not. And so he's not trying to uh, bribe you with candy. He's not trying to get you in his white van to go to heaven. Come on, kid, i got some candy. And then once he bribes you, shut the door to angels. Get them and go. Jesus is not your kidnapper. Jesus is God. And what I love about Jesus is he would just talk and then he would walk. And if you didn't want to walk with Jesus, you would have no idea what he was talking about. In the verses prior, he says, you will have eyes, but you will not see. You will have ears, but you will not hear. He tells this wonderful parable, but we have no idea what it means. Those of us who have read ahead, of course, now we know what it means. But those people, no idea. Literally all Jesus just told them was, somebody messed up a dude's crops. That's it. That's all you got out of that. Where's the spiritual application? He just keeps going. Let's follow the story and go to the second and third parable of the kingdom before he'll actually explain the first one. Let's go back to the scriptures. Verse 31 He goes on and he just keeps teaching. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches." That's awesome. It's a parable that kind of explains itself. So the one that we can understand today, it's the second, but the first we can understand is if you have just the size of a mustard seed of faith, you can change the world for God. You don't have to wait to do great things for you to become great. You can use what you have right now, and then you'll be given more, and God will use that to change the world. So if you're saying, man, I don't know much about the Bible. i got to wait more to do something great. No, God says you can do it right now. Because if you just have the size of a mustard seed of faith, you can let God change you, rearrange you, and use you to change the world. Think about that. That's encouraging from the oldest to the youngest. God can use us. Now he goes to the third parable about what the kingdom of heaven is like. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Another real simple one, we don't need the explanation if we've been tracking with Jesus. What is the yeast? It's going to be something positive, like his word. And the Bible says, if you have the word in your heart, it will permeate every part of you until it affects positively every part of your life. A little bit of yeast can leaven the loaf, the Bible teaches us. And so once again, you might be saying, I don't know a lot of the Bible. Let what you know about the Bible have all of you. You might not know all of the Bible, but what you have of the Bible, let it have all of you. Do you know love your neighbor as yourself? Let that possess everything you do today. Just start right there. Do you know thou shalt not steal? Then don't steal. Do you know to treat others the way you want to be treated? How about to not covet? Start there and let it permeate every part of your life because God's word will be like yeast touching every part of you for his good purpose. Now, what I love is Jesus goes right here and begins to explain himself. Go to verse 34. Jesus spoke all of these things to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was the fulfillment and was fulfilled that was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Everybody go, ooh, I want you to get this. Hidden things are being told to us, hidden things. And yet most of us want God to tell us everything before we'll go looking for them. God is saying it's the other way around. I will expose hidden things if you ask. I'll tell you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be answered. But if you don't seek, if you don't knock, if you don't go after these things, you will not find them. They will remain hidden. You see, in this church, a lot of times people think when we talk discipleship, they hear babysitting. I want to be very clear with you. It is not my job to help you discover the truths of God beyond what I do here and what our church offers you. Some of you say, I need a Snapchat every morning to wake me up and serve Jesus. I am not your Snapchat buddy. If you can't get up in the morning and open up that Bible on your own, my accountability to you is not going to change your heart. And I'm not here to be that for you. Come on, somebody. You see... If you, if you think to yourself, it's the pastor's job, it's the disciple's job to burp you, to change your diapers, to always tell you to live for Jesus, you have confused church with the nursery. There's one down the road you can sign up for. They'll change your diapers and they'll burp you, I think, for $50 a week. It might be a little more messy for them doing that for you than it is for little Timmy that's two years old. But there's places that will burp you and change you and do all of that. It's time that Christians grow up in the things of God. If you don't get it, it's because you don't want to get it. I want to help you get this because I love you. If you're out of shape, it's because you wanted to be out of shape. If you're today busted and disgusted, it's because you wanted that. Now, some people may say, well, there's situations in life you don't know about. Granted, there may be a .0001% chance that you you are big boned and have a slow metabolism. Okay, that might be true. It it might be true that somebody stole your money. Okay, that might be true. But 99.99% of all y'all are exactly where you are spiritually because that's what you want to be spiritually. You're exactly financially, physically. We are all products of our decisions yesterday. And so this church offers discipleship, but I hear people tell me all the time, well, so-and-so didn't call me, and then this church did this to me, Oh, you did this to me at, the, at your church. And I want to ask him, what, are you two years old? Do your thumbs not work? If so-and-so didn't call you, why don't you call so-and-so? Well, pastor wasn't there for me. Pastor wasn't there for me. Did I ever promise I would be there for you? Did I ever say I would be there at 3 in the morning? Man, I got people to be there for you at 3 in the morning. And if that's not good enough, you can boot scoot boogie onto another church. Because this is not a church of babysitting. This is not a church that's going to keep hunting you down to see if you want it. This church will let you walk away. We'll give you the gift of goodbye. Why? Because that's how Jesus said you show people whether or not you want it. Nobody has to wake me up in the morning to do my classes on doctoring, to be a doctor. Nobody gives me a Snapchat. You can do it today, Joe. Here's a scripture. And then I say, Oh, you didn't call me today. I don't feel right. You didn't give me a Snapchat. Are you listening to me? Now, some of y'all want to Snapchat each other. That's fine to encourage each other. Go ahead. But let me tell you, when you're ready to get the Bobo out your mouth, I'll be here. I'm going to teach you how to cook steak. You can do Bobo. That's fine. I mean, you might as well use Snapchat for something since I keep talking about it. Use it for the Bible. But some people, I'm telling you, I hear it in this church, so my son and so didn't do this for me, and they stopped calling me, and my one-on-oneer didn't do it. Well, then get a new one on Just, Yeah, they didn't, they didn't call you back. That bothered you. Then go get another one. And if after that one, the pro, if it's still a problem, then the problem is you. See, we do one-on-one discipleship here, not one-on-one babysitting and diaper changing. Jesus... It's not walking around going, hey, guys, here's a bunch of treasures. I'm just going to put it in your lap, and then I'm going to, you know, break down every single one of them, and then I'm going to, you know, make sure that you, you understand it because, you know, if you don't, I'm going to be here for 10 more hours. No, he says parables and starts walking. He starts walking. Do you understand that? Let's just go down to the next verse because some of you all don't believe me. Look at verse 36. I had to preach it before I read it just to see if you would believe me. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. I'm done. Okay, there it is. You got it. I told you about some, uh, some yeast. I told you about some mustard seeds. And then something you have no idea what I was talking about, about weeds and wheat. Later, gators. And he just goes into the house and starts chilling. Where, you know, where's the los con condules? Let's see. Let's hang out. Now watch what happens right here. His disciples come up to him. Uh, Jesus, would you please explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field? Because we don't understand what in the world you were talking about back there. You see, disciples get explanations. Oh, man. I got 500 books on my Kindle because I'm reading to learn explanations. I got 1,100 books on my Logos software. When he flips that Bible and I say flip over, I've got 1,100 books on that we've paid over $2,000 for it. I listen to between 5 to 10 podcasts a week, 10, 15, 20 hours of information. Y'all want to get on this level and come once a week? What are you thinking? You better put in some work. Hello? The, let me ask you a question. The person that, that, that's your boss right now, the person that's your boss, they only put in an hour to do that? These people downtown, when I go to the Trump Tower and at the 104 and and eat there and get to look over the city, or I go to the Hancock or go to these different places, that's all they put into their job, one hour a week? That's how you become an expert in something? That's how you get to make money and make moves is an hour a week? Come on, man. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, he's waking us up. He's waking us up to a reality that goes beyond the scope of our human limitation. And he's saying, it's that good that you better get up off your hiney and come pursue it. Because those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. You'll be filled with as much righteousness as you hunger for. I have as much righteousness in my life right now that I am hungry for. I have it. There's no excuse. There is not one excuse. Now, you might say, Pastor, shouldn't you help us and love us? Absolutely, like this. When the crowd leaves this week, you go get a hold of somebody that can be a teacher for you and ask them to explain stuff. If you're an elder or deacon in this place, would you stand up, please? You pursue them this week. Let's give it up for elders and deacons in the house. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You pursue them this week. You don't understand what the preacher talked about. You get so much in Jose's business that he's got to call the police and put a restraining order on you. Because you're showing up at 3 in the morning with your notes and with everything and you want it. Are you listening to me? I want you young ladies to pursue these women of God over here so much that they, that, you know, they think you're crazy. That they think you're a stalker. That they think uh, they're going to have another Selena uh, episode, you know? Are you guys listening to me? Because if you don't want it, you don't get it. You see, what we want in this church is the bad part about American society right now, which is we want everybody to do it for us. You see, we think because we have money and we're Americans that everybody can do something for us. It blows my mind when I know some of your jobs and I know how some of you, you know, are starting off in life. The things you spend money on because you're too lazy to do it yourself. It just blows my mind. It's like you're paying for this, you're paying for that, when you know you could do that yourself, when you could save your own money, but you're wasting it. You're living like you've made it to a certain level that you have not made it to. And that's what it's like in Christianity. You think you're to the point where you can just sit back and hit neutral and just cruise and say, well, you know, I I go to church, I give my tithes and offerings, whatever's supposed to come to me, let them come to me. If they don't do it, then that's their fault. You know, I'm not going to pursue anybody. And you don't know who you are. Some of you still need to wash your own car. Some of you need to clean your own house. You can't afford a housekeeper. Are you listening to me? You need to cut your own grass. You need to put in your own work. And I'll tell you this in the kingdom, nobody arrives beyond the point of still working for Jesus. I'll I'll say it like that. And so this is the point where I got to be sassy with you all because I don't know whether or not you're the crowd or the disciples. I don't know because you all look the same. I can't tell a crowd from a disciple I'm based on your dress code or how you amen me here. The only way I know the difference as your pastor is what you pursue this week. Do you go into your word and ask for explanations from God himself? Because we, we have them here now. Do you go to the life group so you can continue to study and to grow? Do you go to your one-on-one discipleship, graduate into 201? Do you do those things so that you can go to a deeper level, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and live holy? That, to me, is something I wish everybody would do, but I can't make anybody do it. I can only do that for myself. I can't even do that for my wife. I make sure my wife has devotional time. She has time to be around other Christians, that my wife can go out and do things, that we organize our family a certain way so she doesn't have to feel guilty, uh, leaving me home with six kids, and I still don't know how to change a diaper, really, you know, uh, but I give her that space, I give her that opportunity and she does the same for me. But other than that, I can't make her pray when she's up in her room. She could go alone in her room for an hour and just be on Facebook the whole time. I'm assuming she's going up to their praise. everybody get that? I ask my children, before you start your day, before you go to the pad, before you do anything else, you gotta read your Bible. And those who can't read yet, they use the pad and they use a the little Bible app and it has those little lessons there. You can't, you can't go from A to A uh, you, can't, you can't start your day B, C, D, and do all of that until you start with A, with your Bible. But once again, I don't know. Maybe my kid just looks at the Bible like this, and then they shut it. Now I try to ask them, you know, what, what are they learning? What do they know? But I can't force them beyond that. Does everybody get that? And so what, what you are is going to be your decision. I hope I got some disciples here. Can I hear an Amen. Amen. And now he's just going to explain it. Okay, you guys are disciples. You hung around. When the crowd left, you hung out. Now I'm going to explain to you what it means. Here it is. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. Somebody say people of the kingdom. Thank you. The weeds are the people of the evil one. Somebody say the evil one. Makes sense to me. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. Everybody say El Diablo. Diablo. El Diablo, thank you. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are the angels. We got it. Son of man sows good seed. That's the Christians in the kingdom. The devil sows the bad seeds. That's the unbelievers. The harvest is at the end of the age. The, angel, the angels come and do the harvest. Now in verse 40, the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire. So that's how it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all those who do evil. So when people say to me, if God is so good, why doesn't he get rid of the evil? Okay, do you want him to start with you and take you out like the trash and put you in hell? Because how is he going to get rid of evil? Does evil live in this piece of wood? Does evil live here? To where evil lives. This is where evil lives. Evil lives in people. So there's going to be a day where he de-weeds, gets rid of the evil of the earth, and that's people. And so I hope you're not part of that. I mean, by God's grace, may we all be those who are the weak. Because the Bible says, there we weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, listen to this, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. You see how he just broke it down for us? That's why I love Jesus. That's why I'm not here to play games with you. I'm really not. I'm really to be honest with you and to teach you these things. So now here are the three principles of the kingdom we've already learned. Number one, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be good people and bad people. Make sure you're on the right side. Then the Bible says no matter what size faith you have, put it into practice and you will change the world. And number three, no matter how much word or understanding of the Bible you have, use what you got and let it come to every part of you. Can I hear an amen? And now let me just apply this in a little bit more of a practical way. Do you notice that it says the son of man was the gardener, the one sowing the seed, and the devil messed up his field, and the field is the world? Can I encourage you here today? How many of you have enemies? Be honest. How many of you have frenemies? Anybody got haters? Do you know that Jesus has haters? Jesus has enemies, frenemies. Everybody get this. Have you ever been in a situation where people left you, people did you wrong, and then you said, man, how could I be so stupid? Why did that happen to me? A lot of times we beat ourselves up, don't we? But what about Jesus? Did he do anything wrong? No, the only thing Jesus did in the garden was give us free will. It was our choice to follow the devil and mess it up. So if Jesus could lose people, if Jesus, the perfect pastor, could lose Judas, I'm not going to lose sleep overnight if I lose you. Are you listening to me? You might say, well, what about the lost sheep? No, there's a difference between a goat bucking and all that and then a lost sheep who needs some help. Do you get my point? How do you know the difference? When you go to help out the sheep, they don't bite you. When you go to help out the goat, they buck you. Are you listening? And so I was talking to my friend the other day. He's an elder of a great church. I'm not going to name it just for his sake because I want to keep it private. But on the day my wife and I were celebrating our 14th anniversary Thursday of last week, we stopped at Dunkin' Donuts as our last stop. I saw one of the men that lives in my neighborhood. He's an elder at one of the two churches that I admire the most. I love churches in Chicago. I love pastors. But this guy works at one of my favorite churches in the city. So I'm going to not name the name because of the story I'm going to tell you. When I saw him, he began to relate to me about how when they started a new church, a campus in this part of the city where we live, because they started in Chicago and now they're branching out to the Burbs, that they had a great pastor who went sideways. He was a young guy. And they tried to discipline him and set him to the side and let the church keep going, but he didn't want that. So he rolled out and started his own church. This is what he's telling me Thursday. I said, man, what was that like? He said it was crazy. We thought that he would let us handle the situation and if we were going to split, do it in amicable ways. But he told his side of the story before we even had our first meeting and people were charging out with him, angry at us, and they hadn't even heard the whole side. He then said to me, That when he started his new church a few months later, oh, it looked so sexy that it even drew some other people in. I'm listening to this. I'm going, okay, I understand. And then this is what he says to me. He says, I tried to stop people from going, but it got to the point if they were willing to listen to him, there was nothing else we could say. Now, the pastor of this church is a man that's about 15 years older than me, is an amazing man of God. These elders have served, some of them with this pastor, 20, 30 years. And this pastor, because he fell into sin and did not want to be disciplined, broke off people from this awesome church. So I wanted to go and look at it, you know, because I'm a little nosy. So I go and look at the church, and I watch the promotional video. And the promotional, promotional video is just as sexy as he said. They're wearing their leather jackets and their tight pants. And he's with his wife. And he's like, this is how he starts off. If you're tired of churches judging you, if you're tired of all of the judgment church, we got a new church we're starting. Nobody's perfect here. My marriage is not even always on point. You'll fit right in. I mean, I wish I could tell you the name. Put it up here and we could all watch it to see if I'm telling you the truth. And I began to get this revelation Thursday. This is the revelation that I got. If people can leave Jesus, they'll leave me. If people can leave great pastors, they'll leave me. And then I began to think about some of your stories. Because some of you didn't deserve that person to leave you. But you beat yourself up. And I wanted to encourage you. Though some of you have lost spouses, some of you have lost your children to sin. And you did everything right as a parent. And what you did wrong, you repented of. But your children still want to live for the devil. Some of you did the right thing on your job. You were honest, but the boss had it out for you. Now, I'm not trying to say that messy people are always uh, godly people because sometimes people will be like, see, it's messy because God's on my side. It's got a bunch of weeds. No, don't excuse your mess. Are you listening to me? I'm not, I'm not saying God's going to bless your mess, but those of you here, I'm believing that the Holy Spirit's going to tell you the difference between you being messy and being done wrong. How many have been done wrong before? You know. How many have been messy before? And you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was my fault. I shouldn't have said that. I told the boss a little bit too much of my mind. I wish, wish I could take back some of the pieces of my mind. Right? I gave him too much. I don't have much left now. And so, so here's the deal. This is what I love about this story is that God will sort it out. God will sort out what's happened to me. God will sort out what's happened to you. God will sort out what's happened to our families when our family members have left us. God will sort out what will happen, has happened in our jobs. God will sort it out. God will sort it out. And so he says, don't you try to pull it every, you know, every person out of your life. Because the Bible says you are to walk away from bad people. That's true. But if every time you get a little bit like, you know, they're going to do me wrong, you pull them out, you're not giving them a chance to show you maybe they're different. So you can't walk around bitter." So I've had people leave this church, so I can't now look at a visitor, somebody new, maybe like Aaron. Aaron, raise your hand. Let's give it up for Aaron. Come here. He's one of our new guys. Juan Riasco brought him. Your brother. So, so just because maybe before Aaron came, ten dudes already left or whatever, I can't go to Aaron now and be like, uh, Aaron, I don't know if I can be your friend because you might leave me. You know, it's like you see that in the dating shows. You know, the girl sits down, and all she does is talk to the date about her ten exes. You can't do that. You can't treat everybody like a weed. You can't let people's mess change your heart and stop you from being a loving person. I'm going to keep loving people. I'm going to keep believing in people. If you're a boss, keep hiring people. You know, And then if you see them, you forgive them. You don't hold it against them. And you let God sort it out because you got ears and you're listening. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's go to the next one. I'm free. How many of you are free? You know that was God. Some of you know situations in our church. For him, that send that to me last week. That was amazing. I was like, confirmation. How many like confirmations? Amen. Amen. Look at what he goes on to say. You're not done about hearing the kingdom, are you? No, look at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, look at Jesus here. I bet you some of you all don't get it, so I'm going to describe it to you and tell me if you get it. Imagine this. Imagine you walking through your neighborhood, Cynthia, and all of a sudden you see in somebody's front yard a little gold sticking out, and it looks like it's in the ground. And then you go there and you check it, and you kind of move around some dirt, and you're like, man, that's just the tip of what looks like to be a golden nugget. And you kind of move around the dirt and all of this, and maybe you can get an understanding that it's about the size of a basketball nugget of gold. Listen to what Jesus says. This would be like Cynthia covering it back up, going to the person who owns the house, going, would you like to sell your house to me? And they go, well, make me an offer. Well, how about a hundred thousand? And they say, okay, I'll take it. Boom. You buy it for a hundred thousand. And then you take that gold, which is worth millions. You see, some of y'all don't like shrewd Jesus. That's, That's Jesus's plan. Do you all get that? This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's about you noticing something that somebody else didn't notice and you get paid. See, a lot of times, that's right, favor. A lot of times we think to ourselves, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. But you see, you got to understand this. How come the person who owned the field never saw that treasure? You see, what God is saying, when you snooze, you lose. If you don't use it, you lose it. You see, some of you are playing too nice with the devil. You need to start finding stuff and getting it back in Jesus' name. You need to start having authority to prosper in this world. And I'm not saying you cheat because show me a cheat here. Show me a lie. Show me one lie here. There is no lie. It's just a man found something in somebody else's field that they had not found. And then he said, I'll buy that field. And now I'm getting rich off of it. And Jesus is saying to you, do you know what's in your field? Because if you don't, someone else is going to get it. You see, some of you aren't singing in the band, but you got gifts of singing, and we're about ready to release an album off these songs we've been writing, you know, September, October, and you're going to wonder why. It's because you didn't use it, you lost it. Others of you are wondering why you, other people are getting promotions. Once again, I'm not talking about sneaky. I'm not talking about breaking the law. I'm just talking about there are people, and the Bible literally says this, of the world. The Bible says children of darkness are wiser and shrewder than some of you are. That's why you keep getting passed up because you don't know how to find the next answer to technology or the next answer to your job. And your person is looking, to your, your competition or that person on the job is looking and looking and looking until they find it, and then, boom, they pass you up their company buys your company, and you're wondering what in the world is going on. How did Apple find out about this? They, they kept looking for solutions to the phone. You guys get what I'm saying? How did Facebook crush MySpace? He found solutions to social media. You see, you, you just can't come to church and pray and say, Lord, bless me, and then just go about your day and expect blessings to hit you on the head. What do blessings look like? Blessings look like you finding things, finding things in life that are valuable, that others are walking right by. And is that not what almost every invention is? I love watching Shark Tank, and there's the woman there that invented Spanx, and she comes on every now and as a guest. She said out of her own pantyhose, she used that to kind of put some parts together, if you know what I'm saying, ladies, what Spanx is and all that. Dude's looking at me weird right now. You'll know that when you get a wife, okay? You'll know all about Spanx. (laughs) You'll know all about Spanx. She took her own pantyhose and she made Spanx. She's now a billionaire. You see, she used what she had. She put her faith in what she could do. Come on, somebody. You're getting mustard seeds out of this? You're getting yeast out of this? Are you getting the example of a hidden treasure out of this? It works for the world. It's up to you whether or not you're going to work it. Now, once again, I'm not saying everybody who does this is necessarily a Christian, but they're working Christian principles, So we as Christians should be working these principles more than them. Seed, time, and harvest is God's principle. So we should be sowing and reaping. These are God's principles. You should be doing it. Amen. Amen. Number five, a little bit different but very similar. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Somebody say a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Almost the same thing, but there's a difference. Get the difference. In the other one, about the hidden treasure, the man stumbles upon it. In this one about the pearl, he's looking for it. Get the difference. There will be things in life you have to prepare yourself for when you stumble on it. For example, I wasn't even ready to start this church when I was in between churches, but while we were playing Xbox, someone came up and said, can you talk to me about Jesus? And what did I do? I told him, let me finish my Xbox game, dude. You thought I was going to preach to him. I was like, dude, come on, man. I wish I would have said, no, let me stop the game right now. Yeah, you all, let, let my guy die. Let me just talk to you. I was like, dude, come on, man. I'll talk to you in just a minute. But then I started talking to him. And then he brought his friend and his other friend. And they didn't come from other churches. They were lost people. Are you listening to me? And then I started preaching to them during the week. And then I said to my pastor, who I was under his cover, always in a good, uh, uh, you know, standing with him, I said, Pastor... I've been thinking about working with the Assemblies of God, working and taking over one of their churches or moving to another state. Or this is my other option. I could use this group of souls that we have won, just these few of them, the Montez family, Adis Bell, and some others, and I could start a church. And he said, Brother, I think you should do that. Start with these people you've won to the Lord. And I said, man, you know, I don't know how to do this from this position. I'm not not even a Chicagoan. You know, I used to live in Indiana, then New Orleans. I've only been here for nine months. He said, God will bless you. I then went jogging in my neighborhood. I saw a building, and God said, that's your building. Start, Start right there. I went in there with no money, a half a dozen people just coming to a Bible study, and they let us have the keys within 24 hours. That's how this church started. So it happened while I stumbled over something, and then I made it happen, Captain, by the grace of God. This one about the pearls is different. This one, he's looking for it. Okay, you got pearls? Let me see all your pearls. No, that's not what I'm looking for. You got some pearls? No, let, me let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. No, you got it. No, no, no. Over here, let me see. Ah, oh, this is it. Okay, now I'm going to go sell everything just to get this. So there are things in life you've got to set your mindset on and give up everything so that that thing can happen. And that's, and that's a difference because not everything's going to be stumbling on an opportunity. There are some opportunities you've got to make happen. And so like they say, if the door's closed, knock it down. This is one of those situations where you're not taking no for an answer. I'm not talking about God closing the door. I'm talking about circumstances and situations closing doors, and you're tenacious. You go after it until you find that which is of great value. And what that is like for me is this church now, as it's growing, the Bible college, we are selective in who we let in, and we're looking for the right people to start the next campus and the next thing. And to everybody else, they're like, man, you've been doing this so long, and you've got so many pastors, you should have so many campuses. No, 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 no. But I'm looking for the right people at the right time of great value. I'm not just taking any old pearl that you get at Walmart and saying this is it. I'm not selling everything for that. Does everybody get that? And so there are things in life you will stumble over, and you've got to be ready for opportunity. There are other things you've got to make them happen. You've got to pursue them. That's what Jesus is saying. And when it comes to the kingdom, my friends, you've got to pursue the calling that God has on your life. You've got to take serious what God has called each and every one of you to do. You can't just look at the pastor and go, do it, pastor, do it, pastor. You literally have to put in your work. So what is your great pearl in your family? What is your great pearl in ministry? What is your great pearl on your job? All of those places have a pearl, something valuable, and you give your life to it, amen? Okay, number six, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and called all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. They sat down, collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Sounds familiar, right? And throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Seems like Jesus talks about hell a lot. Two out of the seven parables about the kingdom involved hell, blazing fire, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Listen, I am not here to threaten you with hell. I'm not here to scare the hell out of you, though I think that's a funny thing to say, so you'll be ready for heaven. I am here, though, to be honest about hell. It's, it's honestly a real place people go. Our Jesus knew that place well because that's where he had already cast some of the angels. The others are are free to roam, the devil. They're still on this earth. But some, because they were so bad in a different part of the age, which would be like Noah's time, that's a whole other story, The Bible says those jokers got locked up and put in hell. Now it's like boom, you're going right to hell right now. Some are still allowed to roam. And if you remember when they cast uh, when he cast out the legion of demons, they're so afraid of that place. They said, "Have you come to torture us now? Don't do it. Just send, you know, don't send us that place that you've already sent our buddies. Send us into those pigs. We would rather possess pigs than to go to that place. So it's a bad place. And the Bible says, as we'll get to in Matthew 25, that it was a place prepared for the devil and his angels, not us. So what do we get from this? Very similar to the one about weeds and wheat. There's good and bad fish. Bad fish go to hell. But what do we get here we didn't get out of the other one? Somebody say good and bad. Thank you. If you would only have the one about weeds and wheat, you might become a fatalist fatalists say things like this. Well, God does whatever he wants, and whatever it's going to be is what it's going to be, so what can I do about it? And they may be tempted to use the parable of weeds and wheat and go, well, if I'm a sinner, I guess I'm not God's wheat. I'm the devil's weed. I'll be going to hell then, like as if they can't do anything about it. They're just simply a product of either God or a product of the devil. And believe it or not, I meet people like that all the time, they go, Well, I'm not interested in God, so that must mean I'm not meant to be. So if there is a hell, I'll go there. But this one, this one takes that away. Even though I don't think there's fatalism in the first one of weeds and wheat, weed, right here we learn you can't go there on that because good and bad is determined by your behavior. Do you get it? See, the other one says it's just the good guy, you know, sowing the good seed, bad guy sowing the bad seed. But it doesn't give the necessary ingredient to what makes them good or bad. I think here we see good fish are good. Because they've come to the good God and been made good. Bad fish are bad because they've done something else. And understand this. Something else other than Jesus' way of salvation equals hell. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So I know some people say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, but listen, it's not you being judged according to Hitler and how better you are than Hitler. Heaven and hell is not based on if, whether or not you give you know, Mother Teresa and Mahatma Gandhi a thumbs up or every now and then help somebody across the street that needs help or whatever. What this is determined on is whether or not Jesus is Lord of all or not Lord at all because without Christ, no one is good. Does everybody get that? So that's how you know whether or not you're good or bad. Are you with God? So before we get to the last one, we just scroll up. Let's just review quickly. The first one we learned today about the kingdom of heaven. It's like weeds and it's like wheat. The Bible says we're on God's garden. We're in his planet and it's up to you whether or not you want to side with the evil one or side with God because there is judgment coming. The next thing that we learn is that We have faith. Everyone has faith. You have faith that that chair will hold you up. You have faith that the bridge will hold you up. You have faith that your neighbor won't stab you in the kidney right now. Everybody has a bit of faith that they live with. And the Bible says if you use that towards the kingdom of God, God will change the world through you and change you. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. That if you take the word, it will permeate every part of your life. The Bible then says that the kingdom of God is like a man looking for, uh, stumbling on treasure or one looking for treasure. So we have to be ready for those opportunities when they come. And then lastly, the kingdom of God is being either a good fish or a bad fish. That's how we know whether or not we're going to heaven or hell. But not based on works, just based on trusting God to make us a new creation. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Amen? And now watch the last one because it gets tied into this right here. It says, have you understood all of these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. Now isn't that good Jesus asked them that? I, I do care about that. I want you to understand. So he asked them, do you get it? And that's what our mentors do. That's what I do here. I want you to get it. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law has, has become a disciple, who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out, a store, uh, brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Somebody say, new treasures. So what is the kingdom of God like? It's like you going to Bill Gates' house and him saying to you, this ain't nothing. Let's go to my room. Boop, 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 boop. He opens up a safe, and he pulls out of the safe the greatest treasure that he doesn't show anybody. Now watch how this goes full circle. Get it here. Who is that person? That's the one teaching the law. You are a teacher now because you know this, and you have treasures to give people come on somebody remember it was the disciples who went with Jesus to the house to get all of the explanations now if you are a disciple like them you've been given the explanations because it's been taught to you now and you have it in the scriptures so what are you like you are like a person carrying around treasure waiting for somebody to ask and to to want it and then you give it to them and so what you can do is just ask your neighbor do you want some treasure do you want me to give you some treasure? Do you want some nuggies? Do you want to learn about God? Do you want to learn about Jesus? Hey, coworker, can I take you out for lunch? I got some treasures. And then guess what? It goes to them now. It's their choice. And if they say, yeah, but I'm a little busy. Uh, call me at 5.05 p.m. And if you don't call me, then I got something else to do. And then this, is it. Then what have you just met? You've just met somebody that doesn't really want it. What you need to say to them is, no, here's my number. Call me when you're ready. I'll be be here, but I'm going to go to the next coworker now. I'm going to go to the next coworker because I'm going to find somebody that wants to come over and go into the storeroom and get treasures. Didn't we already learn that? Don't give to pearls and to swine what's valuable and they don't want it. Don't do that. I stand on the streets. This is one thing I want everybody to get this as Rachel comes, please. I stand on the streets, and I've watched many of you kind of follow people down the street, and I used to do this too. So we're witnessing, you know, somebody walks you know, I say they're walking this way, going, you know, going from here to there. And I've watched some of you. They come, and you're like, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? And, they, and they're like, no. And then they start walking, right, like past you. And then you'll start walking with them like this, you know. And i see some of you guys, you're like, you'll tap them on the arm, hey, hey, you know, this and that. Let them walk by you. I've, I've been doing this for years. Let me just say, let them walk by you. It's so funny. I'll stand just in one place. I'll be like, hey, man, you got time to talk about Jesus? They'll walk away. They'll keep walking. And I'll go, well, you need to repent. And then they'll say something. I'll go, can't hear you. Come back. Can't hear you. Because if it's not important to you, I've already showed you it's important to me. I've stood out on this corner. I've already engaged you as a stranger and got over my fear of failure and rejection and fear of public speaking. I'm already here. Now you can't take two steps or two minutes and stop right here. Let them walk. I did it at the high schools. They used to, we used to go out the truck, and we would have candy, and we would just try to bribe them. Everybody who gets a flyer gets a piece of candy. So we'd have the candy here, flyers there, and we almost sounded like auctioneers. Free candy, free candy, free candy, free candy, get a flyer, get a flyer. Who wants a flyer, 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 you got a flyer. Candy, candy, flyer. And then one day, you can ask them the people that were there. I got so fed up with it, I just took the candy. I felt like I was Jesus in the temple, and I just threw it against the truck. And I said, enough of that, and I just started preaching at them. Guess what happened? We had in one week three students come from one of our high schools to church, and we never had any of them come. Give it up for Jesus. Why? Why? Because we took away the candy, and I know we all like candy. Nothing wrong with free candy, right? Uh, we, we, We took away the candy, and we just preached. And you know what started happening? They would walk up to us, and they would curse us out at first. This is literally how it happened. I could tell you the story about this one young lady, but I don't have time. But I'll summarize it. They would just see us preaching, no candy, no nothing. They'd just be like, you Christians, blah, 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 blah. But we would start preaching to them, talking to them. We wouldn't let them turn us off. They would talk to us, vulgar girls would kiss in front of us. What do you think about that? And i go, perversion, that's what is. It doesn't impress me, though. Live for Jesus, that will impress me, right? But that's what they would do. Teenagers, you would have thought I was, you know, at Las Vegas or something, but they were literally doing the same things I've seen on Bourbon Street, these teenagers. So one of the places we were at was Taft High School, and they would come out, and they would curse at us and all of that. But then they would notice that we would come right back, and we would listen, and then we would preach to them. No candy, no bribe. Groups of them started looking forward to it, and they would come. And then eventually, the questions turned the same group. God is my witness and this brother here, am I telling the truth. And you saw all three of them come, correct? And he knows what I'm talking about because one of them came with Jackie in the car after the Friday we were evangelized. Am I telling the truth. It went from them asking us dirty questions and all this perversion and all this weird stuff and to them asking genuine questions to literally the last week we were there, we brought them pizza to surprise them because we just wanted to bless them. They came on their own, sat on the grass, and were just ready for us to do our thing. They literally, by God's grace, by God's grace, they literally got to the point where they said, these guys love us, we've given them every tough question, we've yelled at them, we've put them down, we've told them everything Hillary Clinton told us to believe, we've tried it, we've tried it, and it didn't work, and yet they keep loving us, and as a grand finale, as I said, Jackie took one of the girls with her, got permission from the parent, now watch this, here's here's where it gets even better, for me as a pastor, Brought her to the youth group, but youth group doesn't start till 7, and they got done at 4, whenever the school thing was done out there. I'm on my way out to go do something else. I see Jackie walking with the girl doing evangelism. Why is that normal for when some people even here in this church wouldn't even go out doing evangelism? In this girl's mind, evangelism in Christianity go just like this. It just goes like this. So in her mind it was, These guys came and told me about Jesus. I'm pretty convinced of it now. Now I'll walk around their neighborhood and tell people about Jesus. That's only God. That is only God. Why? Because she had treasures now to share. You have treasures to share. Maybe everybody won't want it, but somebody will. In closing, verse 53 of this chapter, Jesus had finished these parables. He moved on from there. He goes to his home down. He begins, begins to teach people in the synagogue. They were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miracle, miraculous powers from, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? By the way, Mary didn't stay a perpetual virgin. Here's the proof, the, a virgin. Uh, and James and Jude wrote two books of our New Testament. Aren't all his sisters with us? So he had brothers and sisters. Where then did this man get all these things? What, what happened to him, basically? This is his hometown. They're asking. Look at verse 57, though. And then they took offense at him. It's almost like it doesn't fit, right? It's like he goes to his hometown. They know who his mom is. They know who his brothers and sisters are. They see his wisdom. They see his miraculous power. And then they get offended. It doesn't even fit. But you've got to understand it. Think about it. How many people know Jesus' teachings? Love your neighbor, all of that but they're still offended by him. How many people know Jesus did miracles? Still offended by him. How many people know Jesus' mom's Mary? Still offended by him. You see, you can know up here all these things about Jesus, but be offended in here. Why? Because Jesus came to be your Lord, not your next Buddha and giving you fortune cookies, not your next David Blaine or Chris Angel, a magician, and Jesus didn't come just to be a hangout kind of guy. Jesus has that to offer. God has miracles. God has wisdom. God has family. God has community. But you will still get offended at him if you don't know what he's about. Because what is he about? All the things he just taught you. His kingdom. And if you're not in it, you're going to hell. See, that's still offensive to people. And then Jesus pops off and says, hey, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and his own home. Can I encourage you with this before we go? Some of you will have enemies of your own house, your own closest friends, because they won't like that now you follow Jesus. They're cool with you having wisdom. They like it that you can do good stuff. They'll be cool if you pray for them when they're sick to believe God for a miracle. And they might even like your family. I have people tell me, Joe, I love your family. I love how you are. But the way you believe, that offends me so much. Why? Because they don't understand who I am because now I'm serving the one that they used to get offended by, Jesus. So if it's like if they didn't like Jesus, they're not going to like you. They're not going to like me. Let me. Come on, let me make it personal. If my sister's going to still be an alcoholic, known about Jesus as long as I have, she's not going to like me getting in her business about her being an alcoholic. I'll be without honor with her. And so you can't get upset if people around you don't get you. They did not get Jesus. You see, you're here clapping. You're like, man, I got this by God's grace. I want to live this out. But there's literally people around Jesus going, man, I don't care who you are. I know your past. You're just a dumb carpenter. You don't have the right now to tell me how to live no matter how many miracles you do and people will bring up your past. The moment you start talking about things about God, they'll say, I liked it better when you cussed. I don't like it when you preach. I liked it better when you got drunk. I don't like it when you tell me I'm drunk. I liked it better when you slept around. I don't like you as a born-again virgin. Why? Because they want to stay in their sin. Now, you want to see one of the saddest verses of the Bible? Go to verse 58. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Do you know that you and I can stop God doing things in our lives? It's not that we're more powerful. We're beating him in arm wrestling. But go back to the beginning when we talked about free will. That's that thing he gave us. He will not violate that free will. He will let you go to hell. He will let you break his heart. He will let you cheat on him if you want with the devil. And the Bible says he could not do many miracles here uh, at that place. And I want to ask you here today. Are you letting God do miracles in your life? Or are you just saying, I'm done with this Jesus stuff. You know what? Who cares? I'm going to go do this another way. Because then, let me tell you something. You can't blame Jesus. That's your fault. These people cannot blame Jesus and be like, well, I guess Jesus is not that much of a miracle worker because he didn't do it here. No, why did he not do miracles there? Because they did not believe. And I say this in all grace and humility because I know many of us have different paths we walk on and nobody's journey is alike, but I just have to say this. Some of you are jealous of what your other brother or sister or Christian has in this place, and you're jealous of it. And let me tell you something. You shouldn't hate. You should celebrate because if God did it for them, God's going to do it for you. And you need to stop making excuses and say, but this, but this, but this, but this. You know, a lot of times I even talk to preachers, and they always want to put each other down to make each other look better. And I say, you know what? Why can't we just bless what God is doing? Why do we always got to try to put the other one down to make ourselves look better? I understand sin. I understand that. But why can't we just celebrate? So some of you are single, and you are ready to mingle, and you're like in the 10th wedding, you're still the bridesmaid. But somebody younger you is getting married. Hey, if God did it for them, he'll do it for you. Keep your faith, and you'll get your miracle. Amen? Dude, I was literally single. I was the last one out of all of my friends. I was the last one. But I held on to faith. Amen? I had to wait eight years from 18 to 26. And that's a long time as a Christian. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of these worldly people date their girls for like eight years. That's because she's still giving it up. Are you listening? If you are a single lady and you want to see how fast you can get a ring on your finger, stop having sex with that dude. Say, we're not having sex until we get married. You'll watch him go down on one knee, pull out, he'll pull out a son out of his pocket. He'll say, Here you go, will you bury me? And if he won't and he leaves, then you weren't ever supposed to be with him anyway. Hey, come on, somebody. But here's the thing. Miracles. Miracles are happening. When when I see in my life, everybody be honest with yourselves, when you and I see in our lives a lack of miracles, do we blame others or do we check our hearts? I check my heart. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Will you stand up? Come on. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come? Thank you for your patience today. Oh, let's pray. Father, I ask that your kingdom will come, your will to be done on our, in our lives as it is in heaven. How many of you need to apply that to your life? Just talk to the Lord right now. There were seven points, if not more today. Jesus, we ask for the kingdom of God to come, the kingdom of heaven. God, weed out the things in our lives that don't belong. Give us patience to wait for the things to get weeded out if they're not already coming out. Lord, help us to let your word meet every part of our life. Help us to use whatever we have for your glory. We're going to close out in prayer because I know I've gone long. And those who want to stay and receive prayer, whether it's to come to Jesus for the first time or to give your life fully to him or just to pursue some leaders that you want to pray for you, these altars will be open. Because I believe today that we can see our world changed one person at a time as each one gets the kingdom of God. Oh, let me just say this before we go. I'm in a chatty mood, a little chatty Kathy today. Let me just say this. What came into my mind the moment I said that one person at a time. Get this. We were on Devon Avenue yesterday preaching almost entirely Muslim, okay? A little bit of Hindu, but a lot of Muslims out there. We going to find a place to park, so we ended up parking right in front of an Islamic bookstore. So literally, Islamic bookstore. We're parked there preaching. Not a big crowd, though. At some point, a little like, I don't even know what to call him, a little wannabe, millennial, hipster comes up. And all he wants to do is argue with me about whether or not it's kind and considerate to be out there preaching. I get into this long argument with him. Watch this. I get into this long argument with him. I'm trying to tell him that First Amendment's a good thing and all this stuff, whatever. Watch this. He's accusing us of being racist, you white Christians. Even though we're not white, we had Latinos with us and all this, you know poor latino's always being called white you know some of you some of you i guess are a little darker you know how that can be you know i always give you guys a run for the money because i want to be darker that's another conversation with my gente. but anyways um so he just points to some indian dude and he's like well doesn't it bother you doesn't it bother you guess what that guy was a christian he had been stopping to listen to us and the guy goes, he's from India, strong accent, much older. This was like a, you know, like I said, like a little hipster guy. And he's like, no, it doesn't bother me. This is wonderful. It's beautiful. This guy tried to discourage us. We kept going. We go to the next location because we can get a better parking spot. The moment I go out there, store a store owner, I wish I knew the name so we could promote it, comes out, he's a Christian, a salon, thank you, he's a Christian businessman, comes right out to me, shakes my hand, Christian businessman, Then, while we're out there, two Moody students, both of them from India, one of them, his dad was a witch doctor, got saved by seeing a vision of Jesus, then got kicked out of his family's house because he was like 20-something years old living at home as a witch doctor, I guess, and then became a Christian. This guy came to Moody Bible College. The store shuts down. He had his daughter with him. She starts singing Amazing Grace with Samantha's daughter. We had a crowd of about 10 Christians from Southeast Asia causing the Muslims to stop and the Hindus and brought to us more people than we had ever talked to. And this dude was trying to say, this is what he was basically saying, keep your treasure to yourself. Keep your treasure to yourself. My friends, listen to me. Do not keep your treasure to yourself. There are people out there waiting for it. And you may go through some hardships, but you will see people want this treasure because the greatest thing you can know and share is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Let's give it up for Jesus. God bless you. Go in peace. Share the kingdom. We love you. Man, let's start to worship.